Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 289 of the Ask the Coach Show, where Ping Skills helps you improve your table tennis. Today, we are continuing our look at the building blocks of table tennis and we'll focus on match play. I'm Jeff Plum, and as always, I'm joined by super coach Alois Rosario. Welcome, Alois. Uh, good morning, Jeff, on a beautiful uh, winter's day in Melbourne. Yeah, it's, um, it's heading towards the end of winter here in uh, Melbourne, Australia, and we've had a couple of nice days that kind of tempt us into believing that spring's here and then suddenly bang a big cold day comes up but anyway yes. that's uh that's the weather in melbourne for those that are interested <laughs> <laughs> and with that punchy start uh, alloys i'm gonna move straight into the joke of the week i've been promising to move this to the top of the show and now is the time are you ready uh, all right okay off you go what did the ocean say to the beach um, I don't know. What did the ocean say to the beach? Nothing. It just waved. <laughs> ah, brilliant. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't know. Brilliant probably not the word. It's pretty good, though. Pretty, pretty good. good. At least pretty, pretty good to brilliant, I reckon. Pretty good, yeah. Pretty good to think, uh, yeah. I smiled. A good one. Maybe, um... Maybe you need to come up with, like, a rating system for my jokes and then we can get, um, other viewers to also rate the joke. Yeah, if if you if you can handle it, hope you can handle. Oh, I love getting compliments, so you know I think it would be a good addition to the show. Just you know, keep me in courage yeah. to keep going with the great segment. Yeah, you can handle the truth. <laughs> oh dear. Oh well, let's let's move on to one that people really do like. Then the the um the on this day segment. Of course, of course, that's that's what we're talking about. Yes, on this day. Um, well, on the 23rd, so tomorrow, uh, it's Daniel C. Miller's birthday. So Daniel C. Miller, I suppose, you know, always uh, living in his uh, his father's shadow, so of uh, Danny C. Miller, the inventor of the C. Miller grip in table tennis, which is a bit of an odd little grip that uh, that Danny C. Miller uses. So Dan C. Miller is, uh, was born in 1990. How, how old does that make him, Jeffrey? Um, it makes him 27. 27, a young youngster. Yeah, um, yeah. So, uh, so along alongside you know other players such as Mark Azinski, Joey Cochran, um, yeah, you know they were all developed by his dad, uh, Danny C. Miller, and um, and and also used the C. Miller grip. I suppose he had to though, didn't he, Jeff? I guess so. Being the son of C. Miller, yeah, no choice really. Exactly. Otherwise, it wouldn't be called the C. Miller grip anymore. It'd be called the American grip. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So there you go. Daniel C. Miller, 27 tomorrow. There you go. Excellent. Now, Alice, we have been focusing on the building blocks of table tennis, and it's, I guess it's helpful for people to have some kind of structure about how to improve their game. Um, and today we want to look at, well, we've broken them down into kind of seven building blocks and today we want to focus on a particular one about, uh, match play. So how can we incorporate this into our tip of the week? Yeah. So, um, match play is an important part of the game. Um, and it's something that, you know, uh, some players use too much and some players don't use, um, enough. So as, you, as you're developing the building blocks, and we've been through the basic strokes, linking your strokes, randomising um, your training, 
um, the serve and return. Then we've moved into match drills where we're, where you're starting a drill with a serve or a serve and a return of serve. And now we're going to go into actual match play. So it's an important part of um, your training. And it's also, I suppose, you know, it's the ultimate. It's, it's where we're really heading with all of our training. So it's important to practice that as well. Um, now, as far as what type of matches you can do um, in a in a in a um, in a training session, we can uh, go through that um, in a sec. But I think just to always think about the quantity of match play that you would need in a training session. So initially. Um, if you're at the start of your development, then match play isn't as important. Um, but, you know, certainly as you develop and when you're getting closer to a tournament, then a lot of your training time needs to be uh, spent on match play. Yeah, and um, it, it is an important part, isn't it? And for our premium members, Alice, we've got like the 52-week training program where we give them a, a training session every week. And... Often in that we do incorporate some kind of um, some kind of matches. So when you're talking about match play, is it playing just a normal table tennis match, or can it be a sort of varied game? Does that count towards match play? Yeah, it certainly can. So um, yeah, so you don't have to play you know love all up to eleven and you know normal rules. You can start to change the rules a little bit. And you can start to change them to, so that you're focusing on the area of your game that you're working on. For example, you might want to play a game where um, you are allowed a double fault, like in tennis, because you might be working on your serve and um, a, that allows you a little bit more freedom to experiment a bit with the first, uh, first serve you do. Um, so just simple little rule changes like that um, can help you to, to develop a skill during your match play as well. Yeah, very interesting. Now, you, earlier you said something that uh, sparked my interest. You said some people can overdo the match play. So how, how is that kind of detrimental? Yeah, so, you know, if, you, if you're only playing matches and, you know, some people don't do any um, t- training at all and just play matches, it's okay, but then you miss out on that time that, you are, that you're developing technique and strokes and, and linking things together and all those other things that we've focused on in those um, first uh, five building blocks of table tennis. So it's important that you balance uh, your training with doing drills, uh, working towards um, improving a specific skill and then moving towards the match play. Yeah, that makes sense. And so... Um... What about if people go the other way and only do the drills? Is How is that not beneficial? Yeah, so then once you get into matches, it's completely new. It's something that you haven't done. You know, match matches links the game beautifully. You know, all the skills that you've been practicing need to be linked into playing a match. I mean, that's, that's ultimately what we're playing. We're playing the game of table tennis. We're not um, doing, um, you know, uh, trying to develop our forehand or our backhand or or a particular skill, we're trying to develop our skills so that we can play a match better. Yeah, good good tip of the week, Alois. So yeah, ping skillers, get out there and make sure you're including some match play in your training sessions. And um, yeah, for the premium members, we already have the 52 week training plan for you. And if you're not, consider um, taking out a premium membership. It's it's a really popular part of the membership. Uh, plus, you get access to every video we've got there. So, yeah, Ping Skills Premium Membership. Check it out at pingskills.com. 
All right, Alois, that brings us on to the drill of the week. And we did talk a little bit uh, in the tip of the week about different types of matches you can play, but tell us about the drill of the week. Yeah, so the drill of the week this week is um, to get someone to play just to one half of your side of the table and you're playing to two sides and then you can change it over and vice versa. So by doing this, we're... um, we're making it a little bit more difficult for one person than the other. And you can also, when you're doing that, you can start to um, restrict the types of strokes. So, for example, if you're only playing to one side um, of the table to me, that's obviously easier for me. So now we're going to restrict it so that I'm only allowed to block um, and you're allowed to do whatever you like. So I'm not allowed to make the attack. I'm only allowed to counter and to block. So that does a couple of things. One, it improves one side of my side, my my game and it gets me to focus on that one side. You know, it might be the backhand where I'm, I'm a little bit weaker, but also then it um, gets me to focus on my blocking um, and it evens up that game as well. So uh, give that a try this week. The drill of the week being playing half the table to the full table um, and the person that is only playing from half the table is only allowed to block. All right, sounds like a challenging uh, challenging drill. All right, get out there and give it a go and let us know how you found it. Okay, Alois, that moves us on to the tournament wrap. There's been a little bit of action happening in the ITTF uh, tournament scene. Yeah, there has. So the Bulgarian Open uh, just concluded. Um, and uh, in the men's singles, a win to... Uh, Dmitry Ovcharov. Now, it wasn't without its uh, little hiccup. So in the semi, he found himself 3-1 down against Quadri Aruna. Now, we featured Quadri um, a couple of weeks ago in our um, in our most popular um, segment, um, of course, <laughs> um, because it was his birthday. Um, but, yeah, so Ovcharov found himself down 3-1 and uh, managed to get up 4-3 winning the last three games, um, 11-4, 11-8, 11-6. So fairly comfortable in the end, but, you know, 3-1 down um, is never a comfortable position. No, um, and even 11-8's a bit close, like you'd be panicking a little bit. That's right. And then uh, in the final, he accounted for Kenta Matsudaira, 4-1. So losing the first game there um, and then uh, winning the next four, you know, with the last two being 11-9s. But... Yeah, but fairly fairly strong, and it really broke the Japanese stranglehold on the um, on the Bulgarian Open. So, um, interestingly, in the women's singles, get this: in the last sixteen, all sixteen players were from Japan. Really, sixteen it, from Japan? That is quite incredible. It is incredible. I, I don't know whether that would have happened. Well, it sort of happens at the uh, Pyongyang Open a bit with the North Koreans, <laughs> but but um, yeah, I don't know whether it would have happened at, at this level before. It's uh, it's a pretty amazing uh, result for Japan as a whole, and and it's something that you know we've been we've been talking about a lot over the last few weeks and months. It's just the 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 wave of Japanese players that have come through. And, you know, we talked about that um, last week with the, with the Indian players coming through as well. And, you know, is, is, um, is that, uh, is India the next Japan? But yeah, I mean, that's, that's really incredible uh, for, for Japan to supply all 16, last 16 players. And it's not like there were, you know, um, 
the, the it was a weak weak field. I mean, there were players in there. Um, Georgina Potter from Hungary. Um, there was um, yeah players from Taipei, Turkey, um, Russia. Um, yeah, other players from Russia. Uh, Matilda Ekholm from Sweden. So yeah, just really dominant display. And in the end, it was Kazumi Ishikawa who beat uh, Mima Ito four nil in the final. Um, and uh, yeah, so so dominant dominant display by Ishikawa. Um, it's um, I wonder how often people uh, countries would even send sixteen players to a tournament. Yeah, that's right. And for all sixteen to get to the uh, Last 16 is yeah. incredible. And it does show uh, Japan's, you know, intent to, you know, do well at these events. Yeah, it's good to see. Yeah. yeah. And um, and also on the tournament scene coming up, the Czech Open. Uh, so qualifying starting today um, and the main draw starting on the 24th. So, um, so in the men's Timo Boll makes his appearance again, uh, as and he's number one seed. And Kenta Matsudaira again, number two seed in another tournament to a German. So, um, yeah, let's see uh, if Kenta can get over the line this time. Yes, um, seek revenge Kenta. for Japan over Germany. That's right. And in the women's, uh, Kazumi Ishikawa is playing again. She's the number one seed there. Uh, Matilda Ekholm playing. Um, Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth Samara on the list, um, a few Japanese players there. So, uh, so we shall see, including Mima Ito, uh, Kato, um, and the second seed, um, Han Ying from Germany as well. So, um, yeah, shapes up to be a, another interesting tournament on the ITTF world tour. All right. Yeah. So, and don't forget, you can check out most of the action on, uh, ITTV at the ITTF.com website. So I think it's, um, yeah, there's always a link there, isn't there, to ITTV, and we'll put a link in the show notes so you can check out that and watch the best players in the world. Always good to see. Alrighty, uh, that moves us on to the questions, Alois, and we've got some good ones again. Um, we love people sending in your questions. If you want to ask a question, just head to pingskills.com and click on the Ask the Coach link there, and you can ask a question. And if it's you know really interesting, it might get featured on this show. All right, so first up, is a question uh, question from Pravana about reflexes. He says, I'm practicing my forehand and backhand counter hit shots to get them right, and I do well in practice, but in a match situation, my backhand reflex is not that great, and to return it, I'm trying to move my body too much to hit the ball with my forehand, and obviously my, ne- uh, my next return to my opponent's next stroke is impossible as I'm too far to the left-hand side of the table. So he's trying to play all forehands, Alois. So... Is there a technique that Pravana can use to get, you know, really good reflexes? Yeah, we'll get his name right first. Pranava said, um, said Pranava, all that. Pranava, sorry. <laughs> Pravana, Pranava. I'm really sorry. Pranava. <laughs> That's all right. I'm sure he'll forgive you, Jeff. Um, so, um, Pranava, I think, um, you know, one, one thing that you need to think about as far as reflexes is, is it really reflexes or is it watching the ball? Is it tracking the ball? And is it just keeping yourself in an open position so that you can play both forehands and backhands? Um, I I often find, you know, people say, oh, my, um, my backhand's no good or my reflexes are no good. And often it's because they're trying to um, preempt or, or guess where the ball's coming to rather than watching the ball and, and getting the information from the ball. If you 
if you're turned too far to your forehand side, you know, and and wanting or hoping that the ball's going to come to your forehand, if that ball comes to your backhand, it's really difficult to get back and play play that ball on your backhand. And even if you're just standing there, I mean, sometimes it just hits you in the guts because you're not um, prepared for the ball to come to your to, to your backhand side. So. Yeah, I'd, I'd examine I'd examine whether it's reflexes, Pranava, or whether it's you um, uh, not watching the ball well enough um, and just um, allowing yourself to react to the ball rather than trying to preempt what uh, what's coming. Yeah, and we've got a really good video on this alloy, so we'll stick one in the show notes um, because yeah. You can always improve what people seem to be your reflexes by. Um, becoming more adept with cues of your opponent and picking up the where the ball's going earlier just by watching it more closely. Um, it does sound almost magical when you say it like that. But, um, yeah, if you take, like, um, a table tennis player that's really good at blocking um, and you think their reflexes are really great, but you put them into a totally different situation, say, like, returning... Um, uh, Roger Federer's tennis serve, then their reflexes will seem a lot slower because they're not used to playing against a tennis serve. They're used to against playing against people playing a forehand block. So their skills in table tennis make their reflexes seem better at that sport. So it's definitely something you can work on just by you know, tracking the ball closely and picking up cues of your opponent. All right. Hopefully that helps you out, Pranava. <laughs> All right. Uh, next question is from Jim who says, what is lacking in table tennis? He says, I know Americans are mostly caught up in the big three, the NFL, the NBA, and the MLB, the Major League Baseball, with the hockey coming in fourth. But he says, what I don't understand about popularity here is that tons of people have tables in their houses or their garages or at their work. And so why is there a big disconnect between people playing it like a social gathering party game and between people taking the next step and learning the sport? He says, if you already have a table, you don't need to invest much more time. And he says, we have the internet for researching basic starting technique, ping skills. Um, And, well, not just basic skills, everything with ping skills. And he says, you can play it during the winter months. You don't have to worry about traveling. And he says, why? So he's he's really wondering, what's lacking in table tennis? You know, is it just because of the other sports? What's What's the reason? Yeah, and I think this, I mean, it's such a a big question, um, Jim. Um, You know, there's there's, there's a couple of things that I think, you know, one is, one is the money in the sport um, at the top level. So when you compare it to those other, you know, three or four sports that you're talking about, um, there is so much more money because there's um, the advertising dollar um, in those sports. So as a result, the young kids of today are seeing those sports from a young age. They're being attracted to those sports um, not necessarily because they see it as a money earner, but just because it's on TV more, it's in their face, um, and they're being exposed to that sport um, a lot more. Um, I suppose then, you know, some kids will also think, oh well, you know, I can, I can, you know, make my uh, make my living out of uh, becoming a uh, a footballer or or whatever it is. So yes, I think that's one factor. Um, I think the other factor is that table tennis. Is, isn't very um, kind to itself in a lot of the formats that we play. You know, the, the standard format is that you play on a weeknight 
um, and you play for three or four hours on a weeknight. Um, you play in cold halls and um, you're playing, um, you know, maybe three matches in that three or four hours. Um, that's not conducive to to invite kids in. It's not in, in, um, conducive to um, to anyone, you know. I mean, if I was sitting on my couch and thinking, oh, well, um, what should I do? Should I go and play a sport where I can be in and out in an hour or should I go and play a sport where I'm going to be down there for three or four hours and play a couple of games? I know which one I'd choose um, it, it just with that. So, you know, I think those formats uh, just need to be thought thought about again. And then also our tournaments, tournament formats. They're just way too long. I mean, who's going to go down to a tournament and spend, um, you know, four, five, six, up to 12 hours um, to play in a tournament um, if you're not completely dedicated to the sport? You know, we 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 get the people that are completely dedicated, but we don't get that next level of player. You know that that guy in the garage that just wants to um, wants to test his uh, skills out against someone else. Um, you know, we we need to re- really think about the format of what our tournaments look like. You know, we've got such a magnificent sport. I mean, we all know that. I'm sure everyone that's listening to this podcast knows that. Um, it's how do we get the potential out of that sport? How do we how do we make it marketable? How do we make it um, attractive to all those garage players, um, all those all those kids sitting at home thinking, you know, what sport can I play? How do we get them into table tennis halls, into playing uh, competitively, and taking that next step? It's a it's a it's a really big um, big step, and it'd be interesting to hear other people's thoughts on it too. Yeah, certainly would, and yeah, great points about the formats. Um, the other thing like in Australia too is there's not a lot of table tennis clubs so even though a lot of people might have one at work or in their garage where there's organized competitions um, there's not we've we've got actually really good facilities where we do have them in Melbourne for example like a lot of the clubs are really good but people aren't always right next to a club whereas if you take a sport like tennis nearly every suburb has a tennis club so it's just much more accessible to play some other um, sport. Um, basketball, all the schools have a basketball hall and a lot of associations play at those schools. Um, so I think the other sports are more accessible to start with and then, like you said, their formats are probably more ideal for today's quick-paced, you know, in and out um, that people like. So, yeah, um, great question, Jim. And, uh, yeah, if anyone's got any thoughts, leave a comment. Uh, this will be up on uh, Ping Seal's website under the blogs, Ask the, Pod- Ask the Coach podcast. So, yeah, leave a comment. We'd love to hear um, what you think. All right, Alois, let's move on um, to the next question. And uh, it's from Shivam, who wants to know the disadvantages of practicing on a bad table. He says, I have a table tennis table, but it's not ITDF approved and it's quite dead. He says, I practice on it regularly, irregularly, and he's preparing for a state tournament. He wants to know, should he keep practicing on that table or should he buy a new one? So, um, you know, what's the disadvantages, Alois? Yeah, so I suppose, I mean, ideally, Shivam, um, you should try to get a new table that's going to be a bit closer to the table that you're going to play on in a tournament. Um, but if you don't have that option, then playing on that table is fine, um, that 
the 10-year-old slower table is fine. You're still going to be able to improve your game. The the thing I would say there is then when you go to a tournament, allow yourself plenty of time um, before the tournament starts to have a good hit up on the tables. You'll find that you'll adapt pretty quickly. You know, within half an hour or an, uh, an hour, um, you'll start to um, adapt to the pace of the ball um, pretty easily. So, uh, you know, for me, the, the major disadvantages of practicing on that table are that, yes, they are the table speed is different. Um, your strokes might be slightly different. But if the option is don't practice at all, then you definitely should be practicing. Um, ideally, though, if you can get a new table that's a little bit faster and, um, and closer to the tables that you're going to play tournaments on, then go ahead and do that. Yeah, and this is where I think it's ideal if you can find like a table tennis club near you because um, if you often table tennis clubs have decent tables and you know more people, so going there you get to practice on generally pretty good tables and against a lot of different people. So um, yeah, if you can find a club near you, Shivam, try and join that and practice there as much as you can. All right, next up is a question from. Mosin, who says, my question is, sometimes I play very well and I'm satisfied with my game, but sometimes I can't play at the standard which I expect from myself. So what advice do you have, Alois, for Mosin on, you know, keeping his performance at a good level all the time? Yeah, so a couple of things. One is it's almost impossible to play at the same level all the time. Unless you play but really badly, of course. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I can play badly every day. <laughs> I think you know the first thing is to don't necessarily always chase that ideal of of having to play well all the time. Just got to accept some days you're going to play well, some days you're not. Um, and you know, I think the the biggest thing here is to not let those um, peaks and troughs influence your development in your training if you um train less when you play badly and train more when you play well then your development is going to be stunted it's really important that you maintain that um enthusiasm or passion and just dedication and keep training through all those troughs i think that i mean there's a couple of things that will be able to help you to to play you know, more consistently, and that is to just develop some consistent routines. So things like um, what do you do on the day of your tournament or your or your matches? Um, what, uh, what sort of food do you take in? What sort of things do you do to prepare yourself um, for that day? Make sure you're sleeping well all the time, um, you know, before, before a tournament or as well as you can. Um, yeah, those sort of things are... are things you can do before you get to the tournament, but then also um, on the table or during the match, just develop those pre-point routines that we often talk about. Little routines that you do before each point that just helps you to get a little bit more consistency in uh, what you're doing on the table, which then leads to a better consistency of performance. Yeah, great tips. Um, it, It is hard, isn't it? Because... Like people, how do you how do you get yourself performing well for important tournaments? I, I know that's a big question because you know it's easy to say you got troughs and 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 sometimes you play well, but you really want that playing well at certain times, don't you? 
Yeah, so so when you're talking about, you know, peaking for a tournament, you know, some things that you need to think about are playing more matches. We talked about this earlier in the show. So as you come closer to a, um, to a tournament, you'll start to shift your focus from um, set drills to more open drills to more match play because now you're starting to prepare yourself more for, for playing uh, matches and you're starting to get used to playing matches. You're starting to get more experience in matches and um, and used to the routine of matches. So, yeah, so as you get closer to tournaments, more match play, um, off-season you can do more drills and set drills and, and see how you can work those through um, towards your matches. Yeah, absolutely. Great uh, great question, Mosin. And I did mention the 52-week training plan that we have um, at Ping Skills earlier. And in that, we do focus on different things at the start of the year compared towards the end of the year. So we've kind of got it broken up into sections of things that you focus on. And the last eight weeks, they're all about tournament preparation. So those are tailored toward things like you just mentioned, Alois, the, the more matches and, uh, and third ball drills and that type of thing. Great question, Mosin. All right, Alois, well, that wraps up another show, uh, show 289. A big thank you to everyone for listening. Um, we just recently released a video on YouTube showing our... Um, we, we passed 100,000 subscribers a little while ago, and YouTube sent us a silver play button. So, again, a big thank you to everyone who subscribes to our YouTube channel. If you haven't seen that video... You can find it on our blog at pingskills.com. So, yeah, big thank you to everyone. Uh, super excited to get that from uh, YouTube. And thank you, Alois. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thank you, YouTube. Thank you, listeners. And um, we'll, we'll see you again soon. All right. Bye, everyone. <laughs>